Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Kilowatt. My name is Bodhi, and I'm your host. I'm not really sure. I messed that up. Anyway, thank you for showing up. It's Thanksgiving weekend here in the United States. I'm recording this actually on a Tuesday. Um, in the United States, Thanksgiving's on a Thursday, and then most people get Friday off, which is Black Friday, which I don't participate in, and then there's Saturday, Sunday. So it's a four-day weekend here in the U.S., and I was going to take advantage of that with my family Sierra, our oldest, is flying in, and uh, it's it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to it. And that leads us right to the thing that I like. This is my favorite time of the year. After November 15th, we're gearing up for Thanksgiving and then Christmas, and it's about the ability to sit and just hang out with your family and your friends. Like, it's not the gifts, it's not the food that excites me, although I do love, I love Christmas lights. It is the ability to say, effectively, I give myself permission to do nothing except for spend time with my family. So I am super excited about this time of year. It's my favorite, all-time favorite time of year. I look forward to the holiday seasons every single year. So that's the thing that I like this week. You know what? Let's jump right into the news. This is going to be a faster than normal podcast, which lately they've been kind of long. But this is going to be a little bit faster than normal simply because there's just a lot of kind of quick hit things here that we're going to talk about, but there's not a lot of substance to them. Okay, first story. Byton and Electrify America have established an agreement that would allow Byton customers to charge for free in the U.S., kinda. Byton owners will get 30 minutes of free charging at a D.C. fast charging station and 60 minutes of free charging at level two charging stations. Byton has also received a distributor's license in California. So Byton is able to sell cars uh, basically in California. The Byton Imbite is set to land in the US and Europe in 2021 and China, which nobody listens to this podcast in China, by 2020. The state of California will no longer purchase fleet vehicles from automakers who have challenged the state's authority to regulate their vehicle emissions. So basically the White House has proposed, I don't think anything's actually happened yet, that they do away with a state's rights to regulate vehicle emissions. So some of those manufacturers are GM, Toyota, and Fiat Chrysler. In 2018, just to give you an idea how this is going to affect these companies, 
the state of California spent $27 million to purchase GM vehicles. And yearly, they spend about $72 million, I think the number was, on vehicle purchases overall. So this could potentially be a big hit for these manufacturers. Not a huge hit, but a pretty decent-sized chunk of change for sure. Porsche announces that the Taycan is having production issues, so reservation holders should expect some delays. That's not all that surprising, if I'm being honest. Mark Rose, 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 man, Rose, Mark Rose, the president of GM, wrote a little article on CNN.com about the future of electric car adoption. Originally, I found this article through Electric. Here's the headline that Electric had. GM president tells American, or Americans, I'm guessing there should be an S there, to hold off buying an EV. Should we trust him? When I first read this headline, I was really irritated because it's, you know, just goes to show yet another auto exec that's discouraging consumers from going electric. So here's the first thing that you see in the electric article. I know this is really confusing because I'm saying electric vehicles. We'll just call them EVs for now on and electric, the actual publication. But here's what I read in electric just to start me off. General Motors president Mike Roos penned a missive on CNN's website titled, Electric Cars Won't Go Mainstream Until We Fix These Problems. The title conveys these three things. Electric vehicles have big problems. They're not suitable for mainstream, aka most people. And GM will fix future tense these problems and normal people should just stand by until GM says so. Below, we deconstruct this corporate PR hit piece and take a look at who it's coming from. Now, that's that's what that was written in the electric article. So I was like, hmm, this seems either like the president of GM is a real idiot or something's not right here. So I went to CNN, I found the article, and I read the article, and I found it to be nothing like what the author of the electric article is saying. It was nothing like that. It actually made a lot of really good points. And I think it was pro EV, to be honest with you. Either the author of the electric article didn't understand what or misunderstood what Mark Roos was saying, or he had an agenda. And no matter what, he was going to wedge that agenda into the article, which is really disappointing because I value what Electric does as a publication. And for the most part, I trust their writers. But this guy, and I'm not going to say his name, but you can go and look up the article if you want. This guy, I don't trust from here on out. I'm not going to trust anything that he says because he is clearly biased or completely blind to the facts. So what I'd like to do now is I'd like to read to you from the article, the CNN article, the Mark Roos uh, authored article. I know I keep saying his last name wrong because I don't know how to say it, if I'm being honest. Anyway, I want to read to you what he wrote just a little bit. We recently held consumer clinics in Los Angeles and Chicago and presented people with six SUV choices, three gasoline and three electric. When we asked for their first choice to purchase, 40% of the Chicago respondents chose an electric SUV, and 45% in LA did the same. This is despite a several thousand dollar premium on the price of the electric models, but also before crucial 
government tax credits that we believe will continue to drive people toward electric vehicles and help fuel market demand. That's probably not the best fuel market demand when you're talking about electric vehicles and ICE cars. I don't know. Maybe he could have picked a different phrase there. But effectively, what he's saying is, is GM ran a study in these two cities and almost half of the people in the study or in the, uh, what's it called? What does he call it here? Clinic, the consumer clinic, 40% in Chicago, 45% in LA said, you know what? I'm going to buy the electric vehicle. Oh yeah, I know that it costs more money, but I still want to buy the electric vehicle. So he had a little bit more to say on this. They had concerns to be sure. Most people said they want a vehicle that can match gasoline-powered vehicles in range, ease of ownership, and cost. The sooner we can break down these three critical barriers, the sooner electric cars will become mainstream. Now, at no point in time in this article, and it's not very long, to be honest with you, I I don't know, it might be a thousand words, I didn't check. Hold on, I'm going to pause this and I'm going to go look and see how many words it was and I'll let you know. One second. Okay, so I looked it up. It's 896 words, not even 900 words. Like, I am a a complete idiot, and I was capable of reading the 900 words. I'm not 100% sure that the person who authored the electric article even fully read it. I think they just had a a point of view, and they were going to go with it no matter what. Now, I would encourage you, because I put the link in the show notes, I would encourage you to go read both of these articles and tell me I'm wrong. Absolutely tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I misled or misread the intention of the author of the electric article or the CNN article, or maybe I just misunderstood both. But to me, it sounds like he's saying, hey, look, other mainstream car companies, other legacy automakers, this is what we need to do to be appealing to almost half of the population that's looking to buy a new car. And now I understand that the consumer clinics that they they had in in Chicago and LA, they're probably not huge. You know, they're not a study of a hundred thousand people. They're probably a study of five hundred people at best, maybe a thousand. So I get that. But on the other side of things, like I think that's a good jumping off point for GM. And it sounds like the president of GM, Mark Royce. I'm just going to keep saying different names until I hit on it. Eventually I will, or maybe not. Uh, it sounds like he's taking that seriously and he's saying, hey, let's wake up because this is something that people want. So here's basically, and I'm paraphrasing for the rest of this because he, I, I didn't want to go into direct quotes from the article. But basically he said three things need to be improved. Range needs to be at about 300 miles or at least 300 miles, excuse me. And he fairly points out in the article that GM's own product, the Chevy Bolt, only has a range of 238 miles. Tesla has, let's see, two configurations of the Model 3 and the Model Y that fall below 300 miles. And the Tesla Cybertruck has a, this is my research, the Tesla Cybertruck, the base model falls below the 300 miles. So, you know, even Tesla, a company that's been doing this for I don't know how long they've been doing it now. A while. They're still falling below that that coveted 300-mile range. But if I'm being honest, I'd argue... uh, I don't even know if that makes sense. I'd argue that 250 miles is adequate. 
300 definitely needs to be the number eventually for every manufacturer to hit. But for now, I think 250 is pretty good. I don't think someone who's looking at an electric vehicle and a, an electric vehicle that has a range of 250 miles and is in their budget, I don't think they're going to go, nah, I'm not going to do it. It doesn't hit 300. I think 250 is okay. Anything below 250, it starts to get iffy. And it really, the price proposition there needs to be very uh, appealing to the consumer. So like 200 miles, but it only costs $18,000. Absolutely. Let's do that. But if it's 200 miles of range and it costs $40,000, that's going to be a harder sell. So the next is charging infra infrastructure. You know what? I've had a hot toddy tonight and uh, my wife thought maybe I put a little too much bourbon in it. And at first when I was drinking it, I was like, there's hardly anything in here. But when I got to the bottom, I was like, there's a lot in here. I just kept filling it up, which was stupid. Anyway, charging infrastructure. People need to know that they can quickly and conveniently charge their vehicle. That's really important, especially in today's day and age when you really need to be places quickly. Like you, you don't want to be late to work or you don't want to be late to whatever appointments you have. Pick up the kids from school. That's kind of a, a big deal. So he breaks down chargers into two types. You have the private chargers, which are the ones that are offered from home and work. Those chargers are really important. I didn't write down the actual numbers, but it's something like 90% of people, or maybe it was 80% of people charge at home and like 10 or 15% of the people charge at work. So those home or private chargers are super important. Now, any automaker out there can do the same thing that Ford's doing with their Mustang, which is basically just giving away a home charger to whoever buys a car. And the other thing that they could do, and God, this is going to be really novel, is standardize a charging cable that everybody uses. Honestly, at this point, it's absolutely ridiculous. I'm moving on. So we move on to the public chargers now, which are your Tesla supercharger network, your charge point network, or Electrify America. These all need to be consistent, not in the way that they charge the vehicle, but in the way that they they charge for their services. Let's start with Tesla. If you own a vehicle that's old enough, you get free supercharging. But if you own a newer vehicle or you have a Model 3, Tesla gives you a certain amount of free miles, and I think it's annual, and then you have to pay for the rest of, you know, after you've used that up, you just got to pay. And then you have like Electrify America that charges, that has a really weird price structuring fee that has nothing to do with actually charging your car. It has to do with having access or the ability to charge your car. And the reason why they charge this fee is because if they are delivering electricity to you, just straight electricity, I guess that technically makes them a utility like your electric company. So they have to charge this like membership fee so that you're, they're not an electric company. It's all very dumb, but they have to get around these regulations somehow, I guess. And I don't know anything about ChargePoint, but if they could kind of come together on what's a fair price in each area, and then I guess that's can't do that because it's against also regulations because that's price fixing. I don't know. I just I just killed my own theory there. Let's just make it easier to charge. How about that? 
and then the cost of the EVs. EVs are cheaper to own and operate, but they often cost a lot of money to buy upfront. That that upfront cost is really, really large. So we need more affordable EVs with excellent range. So I think at some point when we get to a vehicle that costs twenty to $25,000 and has a range of three hundred, I think that's money. I think that's the perfect uh, price for a vehicle that can go 300 miles, but people out there who can't afford a $40,000 vehicle can still have a really nice $20,000 vehicle or $25,000 vehicle that has, you know, really good range. I, I think this is, that's the sweet spot. If we can get down to that price point with that range, I think we're going to be in good shape for sure. So I'm going to sum this up by reading his his closing statement, I guess. Removing these barriers will lead to what I consider the ultimate key to widespread EV adoption. The emergence of the EV as a consumer's primary vehicle, not a single purpose or secondary vehicle, that will happen when we as an industry are able to offer the utility, cost parity, and convenience of today's internal combustion-based cars and trucks. To get an electric vehicle to the first excuse me, to get electric vehicle to first string status, manufacturers simply must make it as good or better than the cars, trucks, and crossovers most people are used to driving today. And we must deliver on our promise of making affordable, appealing EVs in the widest range of sizes and body styles possible. When we do that, electric vehicle adoption and acceptance will be widespread, and it can happen sooner than most people think. So I honestly thought this guy's head and heart is in the right place. Mark Ruiz, 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 Royce, whatever your name is, I agree with you. <sighs> you know, I had more written about this electric guy, but I'm just going to move on because he just, it, that whole thing just irritates me. He took something that he could have highlighted and celebrated that made the EV community look good like it's positive news and he took it and turned it into something negative and i don't we don't need that in our community there's already enough of that outside of that of where we are so moving on ford challenged tesla to a proper Cybertruck versus f-150 tug-of-war battle ford doesn't think the f-150 Cybertruck video that was in the Cybertruck reveal was fair Honestly, I don't really care about this stuff, and it looks like it's not going to happen anyway, but there was a lot of news about it, so I mentioned it. So let's get, since we mentioned that, let's get into some cyber truck news, shall we? I posted a video on supportkilowatt.com, which is the Patreon feed, and it's free for anybody to look at. It's 10 features Elon Musk left out, so... This article goes into 10 things that you may or may not know about the Cybertruck. It's a really good article. And you can just go up there and, and take a peek. And let's see. I don't think I said this last episode, but the Cybertruck to me looks like a rhinoceros. And if I buy one, I'm going to call it Rhino. And that's in, in memory of a friend of mine who actually, his nickname was Rhino. And he looked like a Rhino. He was a very sweet man. He was a big Green Bay Packers fan. I'm a big Bears fan. We always had a soda bet on who was going to win, which team won when those guys matched up. So, Rhino. 
looks like Cybertruck will be Tesla's last product for a while. And this makes sense. Tesla has a lot on its plate right now with the Model Y, the Roadster, the Tesla Semi, and now the Cybertruck. Like, they need to slow it down a little bit. Tesla will be announcing some unexpected technology announcements next year. And they didn't really go into what they were going to be announcing. But my predictions on two things are battery technology, updated battery technology, and full self-driving. I can't think of anything else. Uh, but that's maybe a more efficient motors for like the Model 3. But yeah, so unexpected technology announcements coming next year. I know there's a full self-driving event that's coming and a, a battery event. It's, no, there's a battery event that's coming. I think Jan January is when Elon said they were trying to hit for that event. First of the year. I think it's well known at this point, but the metal that Tesla uses on the outside of the Cybertruck is like a really hard rolled stainless steel that can't be stamped. Like it breaks the machines if they were going, if they were to stamp it into like a door or whatever. And as a result, that really hard metal ends up being the exoskeleton. So the strength of the car is on the outside, whereas a normal car, the strength is on the inside. And you know what? I'm going to bring this up. I was listening to James's podcast today, True North EVs, links in the show notes. And he mentioned that in Canada, the Cybertruck may be considered an armored vehicle, which you need a special permit for because it can withstand nine millimeter rounds. Not something I thought of. And I am... I didn't do the research today because I was putting up Christmas lights all day. I should look into that and see if that's the case in the United States. I would guess that it's not because you can do anything in the United States pretty much, but I have to look into that. Is the Cybertruck aerodynamic? I'm seeing a lot of these articles. Of course, look at the thing. It looks super aerodynamic. <laughs> like it doesn't have mirrors. Like I, I don't know. I'm sure Tesla engineers know what they're doing. I ha I did not see the data from the wind tunnel, but I'm sure they ran the data from the wind tunnel to make sure that it was aerodynamic before they showed it off. Tesla's using a paper composite for the dash to get that really cool marble look. If you look at the interior of the Cybertruck, it looks really good. It's It's actually paper. Elon has hinted that Tesla may make a smaller version of the Cybertruck, and honestly, I, I need a Cybertruck that's about three feet shorter and one foot narrower, maybe one and a half foot narrower. So thank you very much, Tesla. Please make that. Here are 10 Cybertruck features that you may have missed. There's a center console that folds down between the driver and the passenger seat in the front, and it has cup holders. So when this, the console's folded up, it's a six-seater. And when the console's folded down, it's a five-seater. There's interior strip lighting between the B and C pillar and that is for the folks in the rear although it seems like it oh, it lights the whole cab up pretty nicely so that's cool the sun visor is flush against the a pillar for some reason it it kind of looks like it's real it's it's higher than it should be but you know this is a prototype truck so who knows what it'll look like when it's actually built the middle rear seat can be folded down to allow extra long cargo stored in the bed to pass through into the cab. That's pretty cool. Let's see here. There are little scroll wheels on the steering wheel. The interface for the Cybertruck is different than the interface for the other Tesla vehicles. So that's interesting. I don't know if that's simply... I don't know if that's something specific to the Cybertruck or if they're just they just have a really early version of the software on the Cybertruck. 
simply because, you know, it's new and they can. Nobody else is going to use it. Let's see. Uh, there's an autopilot camera in the fender. Eek. You have the ability to place anchor points in the bed. I guess that's kind of hidden. The tonneau cover has buttons on the outside to activate it. We saw that on the demo. Storage, there's storage underneath the truck bed. So everything's laying flat if you are standing at the tailgate. And there's a little area where you can open up and put things underneath. So that's pretty cool. A little bit of an additional storage there. There's storage in the sail pillar behind, excuse me. There is a, there's storage in the sail, sail pillar pillar behind the C pillar. Boha. So you know, <laughs> if you're looking at the truck from the side, you have the rear door and then you have like a little triangle that comes down. That is where there's store. There's additional storage that doesn't actually go into the vault, like I thought I did last week. It goes into its own little storage compartment. I guess that's what I'm trying to say there. Moving on. Cybertruck was designed to meet these requirements. First, tough exterior. Well, I would say that the exterior is pretty tough. Check. Low aerodynamic resistance. That seems like a big check but with a question mark because we don't really know what the numbers are for you know aerodynamic wise large comfortable interior sounds like it's got that variable ground distance or clearance excuse me so if you're on the freeway and you're cruising you could be low to the ground but if you're out in the vegetation and you are off-roading you can be up higher good storage bed and towing capacity i think absolutely truck checks all those boxes battery capacity to provide long range and high efficiency yeah absolutely it has that i continue to be pleasantly surprised at all of the thought that tesla's put into this vehicle and all the extra little easter eggs i mean at this point they're easter eggs at some point you know they're just called features but i've said this i've said this before that's the great thing about Tesla is Tesla gives you a little whimsy. They give you these little surprises, and that is important for a, a car company, and that's important for us as consumers. We want to continue to be impressed with our vehicles. We want to continue to be surprised, keeping it new, keeping it fresh. It's just like a relationship. All right, everybody, I guess that I was full of baloney when I said this is going to be a short episode because it was much longer than I thought it would be. Um, I del- Closed out of my document here. Hold on. My iPad was dead, so I had to use my computer, and then I foolishly closed out. So now I have to pull back up episode 171 and so that I can see what my phone number is. All right, here we go. So you can email me, Bodie, B-O-D-I-E, at 918digital.com, and you can hit me up on Twitter at 918 digital. And then you can also call, like Karen did a couple episodes ago, and leave a message, and I'll put your message on the show. It's 918-401-0071. That's it for me. My laptop's dying. My charger's in the other room because, you know, that's just how my day's going. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Have a happy Thanksgiving. Happy birthday, Dale. Karen, I am so far behind. I haven't sent out your package yet. I am sorry. I will get that out to you hopefully tomorrow. I am a terrible human being, but I'm I'm so thankful that you're part of the community, Karen. Sorry.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.